and welcome to another Mad Axeman Army List podcast. This week we're going all Mesoamerican for you. We're bringing in the Aztecs, the Incas, the Texcalans, the Chianteks and the Mayans. All the full set of lists that for all your bright coloured paints. This week we've also got a unique new tie-up with Fighting 15s who are selling ready-made army packs at a discounted rate of some of the lists that we're featuring in this podcast. So what's not to like? Loads of army lists, hopefully a bit of educational chat and also some cheaper figures. What a great week. Um, don't forget all the lists that we're going to talk about here as well will also be posted on the ADLG wiki on the Mad Axman website. So sit back, get ready, and enjoy our Meso American special. This means war. This means war. Well, welcome everybody to yet another Mad Axman multi-list ADLG list building special. This time, um, of course, I'm joined by Richard and Dave, the, the regular team for these um, army list specific podcasts. And for this week, we're doing something even unusual by our own standards. And I think I suspect this is we're actually looking at lists which none of us have ever fielded and possibly none of us have ever actually played against either. Um, and, and we're looking at the Americas and more specifically the armies in the first half of the Americas. And this is sort of a tie-in as well with some of a, a project that I've been doing for, for Ian, who runs the, the company Fighting 15s, where um, I've been helping him design some ready-made army packs for ADLG. And Fighting 15s in their Gladiator Games range are one of the, the relatively few companies who, who do a south american um range or, or range of different things so so it's an interesting period it's armies that i think in every set of rules people think about getting and then realize that they're probably not very good and and there's not that many events that you can field them in and and historically it's been a lot of painting as well to to field something that's not very good and you won't get many chances to use it even though they're very very colorful um i don't know am i am i right guys in thinking these are armies that that you don't own and, and have never fielded or or faced i've not I'm, got any armies of them yet not yet not yet yeah i don't own them uh not faced them in uh ADLG, but I have faced them in earlier rule systems. I faced them in Fog in a couple of times and 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 DBMM. Actually, seventh um, was the place where they had their heyday, wasn't it? It was the the double armed regular B skirmishing medium infantry with two handed cutting weapon that were were absolutely um, devastating under the rules. They were some of the best troops. Of, you know, they would they would shred anything, wouldn't they? That was the. I do remember now. Yes, going back as far as seventh. My God. That sends shivers down the spine, doesn't it? But uh, <laughs> but, but none of us have fought these in um, in ADLG. Um, they're, they're, it, because they do sit in that funny period. What does tend to happen is there's there's very rarely a competition for these specific armies, but but they do occasionally get lumped in as potential armies to to use in competitions with other themes, and um, maybe that's maybe that's kind of the the starting point sort of skimming over them a bit about how how best they fit you know because because if we look a bit at, at the history and what these armies actually were um and how they they were built together and then think what is the the kind of the closest equivalent to them um 
I don't know, you're looking at, at how these armies are. There's a lot of impetuous foot. There's a lot of two-handed cutting weapon. They're all medium infantry. You know, it, what, what do you guys know about the the history that allowed these empires to to get in theory so so big over such a long period of time with with what just still looks like a bit of a a rush rush and stab sort of our rush rush the enemy and stab them um sort of way of fighting okay so central america is a place in its own space really it's almost outer space with the rest of the world um it's a completely different culture to anything else we see in Europe or even Africa and places like that. So what you've got is a mixture of city-states in essence, which come into rise and fall and change. So you've got an early period, which was the Zapotec and Mixtec who build the central Mexican temples. Um, the Aztecs then arrive. They, I think they actually migrate from North America and bring quite a few North American uh, warfare traits into Central America. But what, what you end up with a result with is a load of city-states which gradually coalesce into the Aztec Empire, which is still a bunch of city-states. Um, the warfare is intensely ritualistic. It's, it's, not, it's not something that we would recognise as warfare in Europe, and that as I'll go on to say, something which led to their massive failure against the conquistadors. So the object of warfare was to not kill the enemy, it was to take prisoners, take prisoners, take them back to your city and then sacrifice them in the most gruesome manners you could possibly find. Um, the Aztecs actually, at the height of their poverty, just before the conquistadors arrived, are actually surrounding other city-states like the um, Texcalans, and almost every year they have what they call a flower war. So they declare war on the Texcalans every year and they show up with their army just to sort of supply 10,000 warrior prisoners to take home and sacrifice on their temples. So it's a ritualistic method of warfare, but that doesn't mean that they're not sophisticated they're, they're very sophisticated in a lot of ways. They have a noble military elite who live together, are religious, who live in dormitories and things like that, who are the famous jaguar warriors and uh, eagle warriors and things like that. But then you have a lot of other people. And there's a, there's a, there's a way that youths become members of the nobility through, you know, you're marked up like a North American, if, you know, with the feathers in the hair. The more people you kill or take prisoner in battle, the more point take prisoner, the higher status and ranking you get in society. Is that sort of why these armies don't appear to to evolve in from you know in a technological or style sort of way? Because you know, the the mixed text and the Zapotec list is you've got to kind of you know eyeball the dates to realise that it's before some of the other ones. They're not they're not massively um, they're not massively different. They're kind of evolutions of each other. But then when the Aztecs arrive in Central America, they find the old Zapotec temples and it's deserted. Some of the societies thrive for maybe, you know, some of them in South America, more than Central America, can go on for about 100 years. Some can go for 500 years, then they disappear, leaving 
traces of themselves and then they rise up again in, under a kind of a different name. But they all do, yes. I mean, it's, it's essentially Indian warfare without the horse. If you think of the Western movies, it's, it's very much similar to that. But it's got a, a certain level of sophistication in their society because of the religion. It's, it's a, these are religious cults. And I think the thing I was going to go on to say is that we actually do believe that their total mentality was something completely different to Western mentality. So it wasn't the technology of the conquistadors when they arrived, which destroyed them. It was the shock and awe of seeing something completely different, which completely destroyed their headspace. Their consciousness was blown by the arrival of the Spanish. And the, you know, the idea of Spanish running up and going, right, I'm gonna stab you through the body with a bloody great iron sword. You know, the warriors they were facing were like, no, 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 that's not how you do warfare. <laughs> me over the head i yeah. smack you over the head and take you home and then bleed you dry and throw you down the side of our pyramid no and, and they, they might have been able to recover from that but while while they were going through the that psychological shock they were then faced with waves of illnesses from various european pathogens which by some estimates decimated 90 percent of the population uh, which obviously for quite a, an intensely religious society inevitably tends to be seen as the deities aren't pleased with us uh, when that many people start dying in the streets. So certainly, certainly not, you know, 90% losses, I guess, is technically a reverse decimation. There's probably yes. another, another Latin word for it. So, yeah, you, your survivors yes. are decimated. But yes. Um, <laughs> There's, there's um, modern historians who are saying the same in North America that we've actually underestimated the destruction that the um, epidemics brought by Europeans did to the Americans. I mean, even while the conquistadors were there, people were starting to die in droves in the Aztec Empire. Absolutely appalling scenes. And it, it is, I, I've been fortunate enough to visit some of these sites and the sheer scale of some of these cities and the size of the pyramids uh, is, you know, is really awe-inspiring. I mean, these, these uh, you know, if, if you think at, at the time, I don't know what, you know, London was in, in 1500, but maybe it was 50 to 100,000. And some of these cities were probably quarter of a million people. Um, so, you know, they, they were vast, vast cities um, and culturally very sophisticated. Going back to the military point, I think partly it's, you know, they, they didn't have the horse, so that limits a number of developments. Um, they didn't make much use of the wheel. They didn't have a lot of metalworking. Um, obviously, they used gold a lot, but they didn't use uh, much bronze or iron. Um, so a lot of their weapons were obsidian um, embedded into, into hardened wood. Um, so, you, but you, there are subtle differences if you look through the armies. You know, some make use of long spears versus swords. There does seem to be a shift around 1300 away from use of the atl atl and into more the rise of more melee and impact type troops. Um, so that suggests uh, part of this population move that Dave was, was talking about beginning to impact things. So there's, there is quite a lot of similarity 
in some of the warfare styles to some of the um, hill troops that you find across Europe and the Middle East. So, you know, initially more impetuous uh, swordsmen, but, but then perhaps a rise of impact. So, you know, a bit similar to some of the Italian hill tribe lists. The big missing, obviously, is cavalry, but quite a variety. If you like bow, if you like impact, if you like two-handed weapons, um, you can find all of, all of those in there. But no, yeah. no armor really. Uh, so that that makes for a fairly limited version of rock paper scissors within these lists. <laughs> yeah, you've only got two of those things. It makes it tricky. So, so if we look at, at the way the army lists in Arte Legera divided, you've got the ancient, you know, and it's just saying what's the best one to drop these um, Mesoamerican armies into if you were including them. Clearly, they, they work as a standalone period, but but there's a limited number of people you know, at, at the moment with these armies. Um, but if you look at the list breakdown, you've got the ancient period, which is Babylon, Egypt, Middle East, and, and just about into the, the beginnings of the Celts and the Mycenaeans. Um, you've got the classical period with the Macedonians, Carthage, start of Rome, you then get the Roman period where you start getting a lot more Goths and Sassanids and Parthians and things like that. And I guess I'm, I'm assuming that once you get beyond that, um, there are just too many cavalry with pointed sticks who will just run these people down. It's, it's difficult to almost look to see where else they might fit after those, those first three, but you know, maybe across sort of ancient classical and, and possibly Roman, um, or possibly some of the subsets of that. Where would um, where would you say these things are are not just going to be a speed bump? I think, and unless they're facing um, good shooting cavalry or impact cavalry slash knights, including heavy chariots and cataphracts and all those kind of things, I think they have a good chance because if you're against, say, a, a Celtic heavy cavalryman and you are an impact medium swordsman, well, you get your impact if the heavy cavalry charge you. It's only if the heavy cavalry has impact that, that you're going to lose that. And, you know, these, you get, you can choose to have quite a lot of impact troops, quite a lot of elite troops, quite a lot of two-handed weapon troops to deal with armor. So I think that they're probably... Um, they don't immediately appeal, but I think on reflection, you could make them work in a lot of periods. I mean, you know, you can look at other armies, like, for example, some of the early medieval Irish, where you could make quite a similar looking list and people make it work. It's just obviously, if you're facing mounted, you've really got to play, you've got to be fortunate with the terrain and you perhaps therefore want to go for one of the lists with high command factors and possibly a strategist, because if you're facing certain troops, you're going to have to have control of terrain. Yeah, I guess, is it kind of almost an army full of Almugavars? You know, Dave, I know that's one of your favourite troops, yeah, folks. But... I think Richard's completely right, as usual. Um, I think biblical, they'll work. It's very much like a sea people army or some of the Egyptian armies. Not okay, the heavy chariots will cause a problem, but you've got armies which are very large. You've just got to put a net out to catch the uh, heavy chariots in. I think, again, another point is, which is right, with, if you can, this is, these are armies which, within their own periods, 
they're not going to worry about too much about terrain because all the you know all the amazing American armies are medium infantry, so it doesn't really matter so much about terrain. Um, in a biblical period, they would want to defend, so you want you you probably be trying to put down all five pieces of terrain and trying to get as much terrain down. You know, you want all the um, plantations, fields you can possibly get, then they might work. I, I'm not sure mountains really help them too much because mm. it's got difficult terrain. One, one question that always strikes me looking at, at these lists, and particularly with reference to that unique weapon, the atlatl, that, that is kind of javelin for medium infantry, um, but not quite in, in combat. How, how much better would it be if that had a range of, you know, two or three, four even instead of the kind of the one that it has at the moment is that you know does that make it would that make a big big difference to it um it, it might do but i think unrealistically so because it it's a little bit like a lightweight peeler mm -hmm. in that its role is to weaken the enemy just prior to contact it's not a skirmishing weapon really it's you know, in, in the ideal sense, you move up to within one UD, throw them at the pikemen or the, the uh, non-armoured spearmen or whatever that you're facing, hope to wound a third of them, and that just gives you an edge as you then close to contact. I think if you gave them a range of two, skirmishers wouldn't really be able to stand in front of them, which I don't think would be realistic yeah um, I think that's, that's an interesting one is it it might you know that you've got to get that balance i guess with these rules between the realism versus the on-table reality and and the ability of a you know a pike army or a roman army to screen its principal combat troops with two or three or four skirmishes and completely negate the the one shot that the atlatl gets um you know, is is almost it may mean that the skirmishers just get driven off and so your your overall effect becomes a bit better I think about this and thought i tended to agree that okay we're trying to treat treat them as peeler which are weapons which are used just before contact but i i don't think that's actually true the atlatl is essentially if you can imagine your arm being your shoulder to your elbow and then your elbow to your hand is adding a third part of the arm. So it's actually extending your arm. And what it does is it actually increases the distance you can throw. So I would actually argue against my first thoughts that we should be giving them a shot at two. And I think possibly the reason they've been given a shot at one is to make sure the skirmishers do have some sort of influence in the game. But I think they're there to drive off the, you know, then skirmishers would probably fight on the outside of this army or in terrain purely i don't think they would be running ahead of the warriors and i think there would actually be a kind of javelin battle between these warriors before they close to contact in their own strange manner of trying to take prisoners and do whatever like they do um trying to knock each other out we should be doing two ud's for shooting but that's yeah. Maybe. Um, and then the other question with these armies that, that always strikes me is if you look at them, there is obviously the, the Tex Carlins who get Cortez and um, and the Conquistadors and, and clearly they won. Um, so that's got to be a good option. And it's something very different to everything else in, in that period, which makes it interesting as well. But 
if you're looking at these as a you know, a unique period, a, a Central American, South American period, um, just to do it, does allowing that Cortez um, allied command or internal allied command or whether it's a sub-general command, but that internal command of all the conquistadors, because they do have to be all in one command, does that unbalance that army and make it too good for any of the other ones to really deal with? You know, if, if you gave everybody a free choice of of armies in that theme, is it a no-brainer to pick the one army with the conquistadors because of the conquistadors? Or, or are they actually still too small that, you know, in, in a set-piece battle where there's no pre-game attrition of 90% through illness, um, <laughs> that it doesn't actually make much of a difference and it, it just is a, you know, it's, it's a bit of legitimate flavour. I mean, my view is that it doesn't o overbalance it. I mean, there's, there's one mounted unit and a few other units that are, are basically pretty similar to what, I mean, a crossbow isn't that different to a bow. Um, and one, one or two units on foot having armor, you know, well, that's a situation we see in many other, in, in many other lists. So I think you can have that with, without any problem. And I think the rest of the, you know, the Aztecs and the Mayans have enough other stuff that the Texcarlans don't have in the core list that you could have a very interesting game, you know, without messing with the rules at all. I, I, I definitely agree. I think Hervé's done a good job of not making the conquistadors some sort of like super troops because there's only three fighting troops, two bowmen and a couple of handgunners. I don't think you're going to take the artillery, but uh, you might mm. do. Um, I think it might give flavour to a competition if there are a few of them around, but they're not, they're not going to overbalance that army to such an extent that they're going to make it so good that the others don't work. Okay, well, that's good to hear. Well, I think on that point, maybe let's, let's move on and have a look at some of these lists then. This means war. Okay, well, let's have a look at the list. And we've decided to start with, with the famous one, I guess, um, which is the Aztecs. Now, now, this is the list that I pulled together. And, and this is the list that's based around this interesting challenge that Ian uh, at Fighting 15s gave me of trying to create a, a legitimate, viable kind of 200-point list using, um, using about 128, 130 figures than I'm picking out from from those um, from this particular Aztec list. So, what I've done, I think, looking at these lists, which are a little bit similar, there's there's different ways of doing it. But what I've tried to create is, first of all, a big list here, 26, because you are trading that um, against the ability. You know, again, you you are trading attrition here, and then trying to get a mix of different things in the different commands so that they're not all um, you know, uniform, you, you can lead with different things. You do get a little bit of a different flavor with it. So first of all, you're using the Jaguar and Eagle Warriors. I've taken them as medium swordsman, two-handed elite, just to get that extra plus one when they start winning um, so that they can carve through things. Couple of skirmishes with bow or sling to screen them. 
and then three of the Atomi, which are medium sword impetuous. So, so you've got six combat troops there. Some of them are medium swordsmen impetuous to, to give you that shock. The others are medium swordsmen elite. They still chop. That's a very, very dangerous command. And you throw that into pretty much anything. Um, well, it's because anything you'd find in this period, but you know, you'd have a go at Romans with that, to be honest, full on, full frontally. Um, the second one, competent general, again, part of a strategy to get the initiative up to two because this Aztec army has a plus four that it can do. Um, couple of warrior priests, medium swordsmen, impact elite. Four in this one of the medium swordsmen with Atlatl. I think medium swordsmen is one of those things that we've kind of talked about in some of the previous discussions. They can, by standing there and shooting, they can resist or, or negate somebody else's impetuosity and, and take that away. And with Atlatl, maybe they get to do a bit of shooting and, and as we say, ding people off a little bit before. And then three skirmishers again to, to screen them or provide some extra width. But it's another block of six, but not, um, this one doesn't have any impetuosity on it. And then the, the third one is pretty much the same um, using the Kuchik shock troops, two of those, four more of the warriors, that's sort of soaking up your minimum on those standard warriors, the guys with Atlatl, and three skirmishes with bow. So, so it's it's three commands of six combat troops, and one of them is very much go forward and be the cutting edge, and the other one is um, you know, designed to absorb impetuous impact and between the Atlatl shooting and a couple of elite ones to hopefully be as good or better. Than, um, than what's there you know I, looking at it I think there are some fairly straightforward ways to do these lists and uh, this is the way that jumped out at me but here's three blocks of six they're going forwards two of them can hang back they've all got extra width they've all got some skirmisher cover but they do do slightly different functions I think my first question and I think this is one which is probably going to be a question I think this is a very interesting period. If you could actually get a competition together with a, with six armies of this sort, it would be fascinating to see what came out of it. And I, have, to be honest, I would sit here and I wouldn't have a clue. Would you sit there and want to go for loads of movements and pits to get your staff moving around? You know, I mean, they're all going to be quite large armies. I think one thing which that stands out to me is almost all the armies have got an an op, an op you know, a, a choice in the Eagle Warriors and the Warrior Priests of do you take them as impact elite or two-handed weapon elite? Now, in the list that I've done, I've gone for two-handed weapon elite because although the impact has the initial impact in the first round, the two-handed weapon will work constantly through any combat. Yeah. And I think that might give you a better chance in the long run. So I think I would go for two-handed weapon um, I don't think terrain is going to matter much because you're all moving. No, not at all. Nitric, not at all. Shooting mountain and things like that. You, you know, you don't want. So I think there's going to be a situation where you decide to be on the attack, take the command points to get your troops on the attack, and use lots of command to move forward quickly and get that initial rush of outflanking, trying to move. So I think the rule set actually does work really well in terms of Mesoamerican warfare. Yeah, those those two differences. Um, Richard, what what do you think? Looking at this list, do you think um, 
you know, it, it's pretty straightforward. It's a, you know, it's trying to be a good basic core without going too overboard on on anything too clever. I think that's exactly how I would describe it. I think it's a very solid starter list. You know, it's got uh, a range of the common um, troop types, uh, gives you some skirmishers to slow down. It's got good command compared to a lot of the armies which only have three. Um, you've got some shooting capability. So it's it's a good core because it will suit also a number of styles of play, you know, in that you can do the charge kind of approach, but you can also do the jab, jab, jab uh, type approach. Um, so I, th I think it's a, it'd be a great place for somebody to put their toe into the water with with uh, with Mesoamerican warfare. Yeah, and, and, you know, one of the other things that, that is slightly odd about um, this list, because it's a factor that we've never really had to factor in before. When I was putting it together for Ian um, to use as the basis for this, you know, ready-made 40 quid army, um, part of it's thinking, could this also work as a basis for other rule sets that have unit-based, um, you know, compositions? So, so having clearly the Jaguar and Eagle Warriors, you're allowed three units of them that's 18 figures that's it using three of the atomic it gives people if you're using a different rule set it's an 18 or it's a 12 or you know um, it, it's getting those multiples and some of the um the skirmishes so you've got two you've got eight skirmishes that's giving you 16 figures so there is a slight element of thinking those light infantry bowmen um do have to be in a 16 but actually that's not really compromised its legitimacy because I think there's going to be terrain around and people are going to be sort of spreading this stuff about and you do want to screen from the atlatl and you do want to give those three blocks of six some overlaps once they start getting into combat or or, or you want to be occupying terrain to to use it so whilst it was a, a slightly artificial constraint I don't think it's um you know it's unbalanced this in in any way shape or form I think in some ways it would have been nice to to include more warrior priests because they're a bit more colorful and and i guess you know do, do you swap them out but they are pretty expensive and you do want these armies to to be big and and were you adding to this um with a bit of extra purchases i suspect what you would do is is pick up some more of the warrior priests and possibly even just use jaguar eagle warrior figures for them just because they're kind of cool <laughs> they're the cooler troops in the in the list to do so so um that that was certainly the idea for this, for this one let's have a look at another aztec list then and richard i think this is one that you've put together um i can see that you've got initiative of two as well <laughs> i guess when you've got four there you want to be doing that and oh yours is tiny 24 you, you've not made 26 but um so talk us through your three commands because this one is is a little bit different to um to the way that i've put mine together so yeah i took uh i took a different um sort of approach to this um and said right well what really makes the aztecs stand out for me amongst all the lists is the high number of elite medium swordsman impact so i want to get as many of those as i can so i've gone for two commands 
that are basically um, get stuck in unless you're facing impetuous, in which case get in their face and wait for them to attack you. And, and one kind of messing about command. So the second command would probably be in the middle. It's got an included ordinary general and five medium sword to an impact elite. So I'm assuming that in period, my opponent doesn't have a lot of shooting. If he does, he's only got bow. So I'm you know, on a plus two differential against that. So I'm not going to screen them. I'm just going to get them stuck in his face. The first command is capable of more maneuver. It's got a brilliant general. It's got um, three impact elite and three impact and a couple of mediocre medium swordsmen. And they're there to, in an emergency, fill in a hole, go round a flank. Um, if, if I'm holding back um, another command next to it, maybe they can threaten a flank. And a couple of skirmishers, just in case there's some difficult going on the flank um, to help pad that out and just give it some flexibility. Then the third command, again, has a brilliant commander. Um, four of the atlatl swords, uh, two, two without, simply because I couldn't afford the points. And then some bowmen. I've chosen to take the Otomi as an elite bowman because I'm thinking, well, there's a lot of medium troops here with no armor. Maybe a lot of things will only be on a protection of one. Um, if I can get an elite shooter with some support, maybe I, maybe I can make somebody really think twice. So, and with nine um, troops capable of standing in the line of battle, um, I think that's quite handy. So compared to your army, Tim, although there's 24 versus 26, I've actually got 22 wits because uh, I've only got the two skirmishers. Yep. So I think although it's a smaller army, it's got a longer line of battle. So I, I, uh, as I say, very much one for fighting Mesoamerican warfare. But I think this is going to give, um, hopefully, people a hard time. And, and you get more colour by having more of the fancy troops. <laughs> yeah, which is all good as well. No, I, I think, um, you know, it's interesting looking at the two. It, it's, uh, there is that, I think we talked about it in the, you know, uh, the inverted commas history section. It's what is the role of um, shooting to erode the enemy before combat? And um, I think this would be fascinating. You know, this is a better in combat, uh, or certainly in the first round of combat, army because you're right you know there's more impact and there's there's a little bit more elite as well um however it with no skirmishers you're taking a call that you can you can get through the skirmishers and it would be that interesting trade-off between does throwing out eight bowmen light foot in front of an army slow you down give you room to maneuver behind it ping off a few little hits give you a little bit of extra width um whereas this one concentrates the shooting in those those one elite and the two normal bowmen um but then as you say it's it's about toughing out the shooting and and getting in there so you do actually it's it is that <laughs> it's paper scissors stone but but not the normal paper and scissors and stone you know eight, eight yes. skirmishers would not normally be one of those options in in other other periods but in this much more limited period you've just got to find a different paper really um i don't know dave what, what's your thoughts on this one 
I just look at this, it's fascinating because you sit here and think, oh, only 24 units when, as we'll see from some of the other lists, we've got 27s, 28s, 29s and things like that. But then Richard has only gone for two skirmishes. So in actual fact, he's got as many fighting troops as some of the other armies, which have padded out the skirmishes. So then you have the issue. Then I've done a list for Tex Carlin and I've put a, a unit in the centre of the army, which is unreliable and fairly weak, so I can attack on both wings, which is a standard way of wargaming as such. But then Richard is going to go straight through the middle of my army with five elite infantrys. Yeah. And then I'm just thinking, bloody hell, you know, I've, in the army on list I've got for Tex Carlin, I've got five medium sword four medium swordsmen and a mediocre bowman which i'm going to put down first unreliable in the center of the table so i get to look at where the rest of his army is but that is just not going to stand up to that central car and i'm sitting here thinking actually this would be a fascinating competition because hmm. the composition of the army who puts down first no one's going to have massive initiative because there's no light horse so who gets the wins the initiative is going to be a bit of a complete dice fest. So it's going to there's going to be a lot of issues and interesting points. And again, yeah, some interesting points, and then a lot of carnage when they um, when they get into combat as well for both sides. Of, do you go impact or do you go two handed weapon? And I thought go two handed weapon, but Richard's going impact, and I think you know what I think that's right. <laughs> you, you can argue the toss either way on it for sure. Yeah. No, that's 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 good actually, given the limited number of. Um, of options in these armies that is actually quite a different way of doing it and, and i think you know some of the just buying a few more extra packs of, of the more colorful warriors or, or some of the bonus packs works as well for that that's that's kind of neat in fact you know you, with all the bowmen the um the 16 bowmen in that um in that initial army pack you could kind of deploy them as as the atomi and the Taraskans. you most of the ways there anyway aren't you with, with yeah. having 18 figures there and you got 18 plus another four so you've got 22 um yeah that's that's pretty close to it to give you that that other option of doing it as well interesting this means war Okay, so let's move on to to the Texacalans or um, Talaxacalans, I think, as it used to be in some other sets of rules. I'm not sure if there's a opinion and a and a Wade Giles version of pronouncing um, Mesoamerican armies that, that I've missed. But but looking at this one again, it's this is one where you know, clearly you've got those same core of um, of warriors that appear in the Aztec one, and you do have that same sort of mix of, of military orders as well. But you do get some kind of different troop types as well. You've got medium spearmen here, and and you've got swordsman bowmen mix as well. Those mixed units, and and again, you know, we we've talked about our medium spearmen or, or our medium swordsmen, just kind of sort of the underloved troop types at the moment. But but in this period where there are limited opponents and and clearly only one mounted unit is you could ever possibly meet they they do become called a much more generic troops with a with a function so what i've done here is is really go for scale on this one this is 28 which which is starting to get up to that oh my lord it's 30 sort of number the initiative is what the initiative is you you can't do a lot with it and, and i've done a very straightforward breakdown of of three competent generals so first command is 
is the biggie. Um, and this is just about getting in three medium swordsmen impact elite, the military orders, and then supporting them um, with some extra width with some of the medium swordsmen atlatl. There's four of those on either wing. Um, and light infantry bow, um, four of the skirmishers, a couple of bowmen skirmishers. So it's a big, big old command that either pushes forwards with the uh, the swordsman atlatl to stand and receive it and then then drives somewhere else with its medium swordsman impact elite to support another command um or you're going forward with a block of, of effectively seven sort of combat troops and you're leaving your warriors with bow and your skirmishes to to protect and support them so whilst it's a, a big command some of them are going to be kind of static was sort of what i was thinking you know i, I think there's probably an argument to to make that a brilliant general and, and, and downgrade some of the other ones um looking at it kind of now in, in retrospect but that's not going to change the overall points balance um the second one is is again this is this is playing this army as a absorb an enemy charge and hopefully use shooting use atlatl use skirmishes to to negate impact and and you're trying to say, look, I'm going to take on impact or impetuous troops with a line of swordsmen, and I'm going to work quite hard to to chip something off you all the way. So four four swordsmen with atlatl, four more skirmishers, two bowmen here as well. So you've actually got ten troops there who all shoot, and in the first command you've got another ten who shoot. And your final command, um, throwing in some of the warriors with long spear and two mixed units of, of swordsmen and bowmen. So suddenly this army of 28 has got 22 shooting units in a period in which some armies are not going to turn up with much skirmishes and are turning up with a lot of medium infantry. So, so yeah, it, it is planning to, to receive a charge. Um, and this is sort of slightly trying to achieve something different in in terms of play style as well but but to use the things that this army does bring to the table which is the the large numbers of swordsman atlatl and the mixed units and things like that to to create something that that plays differently to some of the other lists um i don't know uh, richard you're you're looking pensive what's what's your thoughts on this i think as you say i mean the the shooting's great particularly if you know you've got a reasonable amount of command with a competent in each if if you can kink the line a bit so that the enemy can't just line up and charge but has got to proceed a little more carefully so you get longer to shoot um i think that's good the only thing i would perhaps change is i'm looking at the size of that first command which has an included general, and I'm just thinking yeah, maybe I, I think that's probably not right. I'd put more a, in the yeah. third command, which only has five troops. Um, and I, I often, if I've got an included general, I quite often put that command in the middle, because if it's a flank and he gets stuck in command, and you've got some bowmen or skirmishers hanging out that then can't move, they they can become. A bit of a soft target for the opponent but i think the troop mix is great um again in a period in period 
I wouldn't be so in love. I mean, the medium spears are nice to have because they're different, but if there might be enemy impetuous swordsmen, I'm not sure I would be so keen on going with spearmen. Yeah, no, I, don't, I think that, you know, just trying something different. And yeah, you sure. Know, and you're you're trying to, I suppose you're trying to run them at that. Suddenly, if they do find that they're fighting Cortez, it's their happy day, isn't it? That's exactly what they're there for. Yes. Suddenly, it's Christmas time for them. Dave. Um, what what are you thinking on this one? I think the lists are really well designed to reflect the Mesoamerican. The Tex Carlin are the traditional enemy. As I say, every year the Aztecs surrounded them, came in for their flower war where they drag off prisoners. So it's a weaker army because it doesn't have as many elites and things like that. Um, but it has got an interesting difference that it's got bowmen, whereas the Aztecs don't have bowmen. So I think I would go with the bowmen and see what happens. See what happens. You know, Do the mixed units work? Do the uh, things like that? Um, my only comment with it, the list would be that there's eight skirmishers and um, okay, you've got 28 in the army, but eight of them are skirmishers. And I think you see in the text Carlin army I've got, okay, I've only got 25, but I've only got two skirmishers. So I've ended up with 23 battle troops where you've only got 20. Um, there's an interesting situation is, you know, can you get the skirmishers round the back of the enemy quick enough to help do, you know, to get in extra overlaps and things like that? Yeah. I, th I think like foot are an interesting troop type in that there's kind of a, there's sort of a magic number. You know, if, if you've got two or three, that's kind of all right. Um, and then you get up to sort of five, six, and it doesn't make much difference. But yeah. then when you start getting seven, eight, nine or more, suddenly it's a problem for the enemy to deal with just because there is so many of them. And, yeah. and you know, they're popping up everywhere. And your your volume of plink, plink, plink shooting does start to add up, um, particularly, as I say, in, in this period when all your opponents are just medium foot. There's no armor around. OK, there's a few elites. And... And possibly, you know, any enemy with two or three light foot that picking it the traditional way, eight of them are going to start bullying that and, and potentially chipping away at it quite quickly. So, you know, it, it's just trying to think of different ways to yeah. to choose the list to maximize I think the, other, the unique characteristics about it. Yeah. And the, and the other advantage you have by taking so many light infantry is that you can surprise the opponent by going for mountains, which most yeah, people yeah. aren't going to bother with, then then you you get some uh, some real advantages there, and and also even in the plains you can go for more terrain. Whereas your opponent may think, well, most of this is rough terrain on medium foot; it doesn't really care. Mm. But it makes a big difference if you're if you're four skirmishers versus three medium swordsmen in a field well then they can stand and have a chance whereas in the open they're dead yeah so um yeah i do think in this period the skirmishes are a lot more tactically interesting than they might be in some others it is something you were thinking about as we're talking it's like you could actually skirmishes could end up being really important if, if a skirmisher hits into the rear of a unit it's it takes off another level um it's it's really you know, if you can get overwhelmed the other person's skirmishes and get around the back of his army, then you're going to make a difference in the combat. 
it, if you know taking the camp becomes you know there's no defended uh defended yeah, there's camp. no 45 camps yeah 45 camps exactly um there's a lot of questions. You could actually sit your centre of your army back on your own back edge, but your skirmish is halfway across the table. Slow the opponent's army completely down to get into your back edge and hope maybe fold your light foot around the back and then start charging them into the rear of the enemy. You know? Yeah, they, you know, in a, in a world without light horse, they're, um, my theory is they're almost light horse. <laughs> yeah. you know, it, what? They are. The only difference is in a world without heavy infantry, they're if you if you bring them within two to shoot, unless you've got a contiguous line, which again advantage of having eight, the enemy can slip a medium swordsman behind you, stop mm. you evading. So you 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 do need to use them with blocks. a high level yeah. of command, I think, in, yeah. in order to keep them safe. In decent blocks. Okay, well look, Dave, let's have a look at your text color list. This means war. Dave, Texacala from you, 1502. Um, I think that's technically in a different rule set, but um, <laughs> why not? Go late with these words. Oh, it's so, 1402, I think, yeah. <laughs> oh, 1402, quite possibly. So so you've gone 25, um, half-hearted, but as you said, it's a lot more combat troops. So three competent commanders again, um, none of them included, and you've got a 10, a 10, and a 5. So, so talk us through, run us through each of these these tens and and then the five and on how you see this list being used okay so um i don't think the initiative matters it's going to be a flip of a coin unless you've got a strategist in there which is going to really duck down the army so you're going to either attacking or defending it could be well i think in a competition of say five games you may be defending twice and sacking twice and one a flip of a coin so it doesn't really matter um you don't have as many elites as the other people. So my first command, I've, I've split the control, command and control equally across all three commands. I made them all three competent. So I, I'm going to try and get the manoeuvres. You know, you, there may be some situations where you throw a six on the pit dice and you may get a chance to manoeuvre someone out into a position, a strange position. Um, and that's where I'm using the bowman. I think the bowmen are going to be there to offer targets to the enemy whilst I try and manoeuvre the warriors to get into advantages, hence putting some mediocre bowmen in there, which is an old trick, and you know combining mediocre bowmen and good bowmen. So the bowmen are going to get their shots wherever. They're going to get at least one shot. If they drag something down, they've got more of a possibility of surviving. Are you seeing those four bowmen being used as a block, or are you seeing two twos on either side of, of your block of six warriors? No, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to um, turn the army into four commands again, as usual. One of our old tricks. That second command, I'm going to probably put down the replaced archers, the half spear, half bow, in a block, offer them as a target. Hopefully, you know, and try and manoeuvre the other six in that group as a separate entity, give the pips to the four warriors and the skirmishers to try and create a V so, you know, people can't get into the archers because they're being threatened in the flank by the warriors. And yet that gives the bowmen more chance to do their thing and do their damage. 
I think if you create a, a V with um, ADLG armies, you can prevent someone charging into the front of your weaker troops and allow them to do the damage. Um, I've put all the elites together with enough warriors to, with them. And again, I've offered four, I put four bowmen there to put down a lot of bow fire, I hope, whilst the, whilst the um, pips are used by the six warriors, the, the um, military orders and the, the warriors. Oh, I see. So you, you've them. really got your first two commands of 10 are two commands each. One is, yeah. uh, the first one is six warriors, half elite, half normal. And then the other bit is four bowmen, um, half ordinary, yeah. half mediocre. Your second one is is four warriors and a couple of skirmishers. And then yeah. your second part of command two is four of the mixed bowmen. And, and I think looking at that final one, you've got four more warriors and a bowman. So you've got, if my maths are right, 22 shooting units here, which is yeah. quite quite remarkable. That's the idea. Is that, yeah, the, the Tex Carlin's not going to be as good as the Aztec in front fight, so it's going to have to fire. So everybody's going to fire, and I've tried to sort of pad it out, make sure I've got enough fighting troops to extend the line, put some mediocres in there. Hopefully they'll get around the edge. And I think striking people in the flanks or getting around the back of their army is going to be a major factor in these battles. Okay. So, so again, like me, you've gone Texcala as a shooting army. Richard, what, what's your thoughts on that one? So I, I, think it's a, I, I think it's a good way to play it. The only thing I would think about it, with that same troop mix, I would think about moving three of the bowmen from command one to command three and making the generals in command two and three brilliant and including the general in the first command. Um, it, it makes it a little bit less flexible in a way, but I think with all the... With, with, when you're using commands as two blocks, it's really helpful to have a brilliant because then you've got for sure a pip for each block and one pip left over if you need to do a flank or something else. Because um, I think, I mean, that and it, it gives you more of a balance of numbers perhaps across across the commands because i think otherwise i'm looking at it your command three has got a competent general with five troops i i, I think you're i think you could optimize the balance slightly differently but that's just my style of play not yours so yeah no, I, what do i, I know <laughs> i mean yeah i mean i think these points you know i think at the end of a weekend's competition if, if you did find six people who had six Meso-American armies, you'd be sitting there at the end of the weekend scratching your head and going, well, that one was what, not what I expected and it was completely different to what I expected and it's blown me away. Whereas I've done, you know, I think it's going to be a really fascinating... Okay, so... So third one of the, the list that I've cooked up for, for Fighting 15s here. This is the sort of the, the early period, um, even though it kind of feels a bit similar, the Zapotec and, and Mixed Tech Army. So this one, not quite as big as, as some of these kind of monsters and um, a little bit lighter on the, the skirmishes for me. There's only six in this one. And this, I think, is getting a bit back to that uh, sort of aztec -y thing, but but still with quite a lot of shooting or an awful lot of shooting really in that 
there's only three units out of this 26 who don't shoot but the, but there's still a few more elites to to scatter around this one as well um didn't quite manage to get this to the 200 points but that's doable you could uninclude some of the generals or something like that but um so this is a, a 10 a 10 and a 6 so this i felt was an army that that really because of the the options sort of suited being a bit more straightforward that that three balanced commands um approach to it and again looking at yeah it would be unincluded the generals wouldn't it so what i've got in first command three elite medium swordsmen it's a shame that they don't have all that kind of you know clever impact stuff but elite with atlatl medium swordsman is about resisting someone else's charge and chipping the way with a lot of shooting um three more medium swordsman atlatl just to pump out the shooting gives you a combat width of sixth two bowmen to take that width up to to eight you operate them together it's giving you another better chance of fighting of, of pinging people down and a couple of slingers as, as skirmishers as well so, um uh, they're fighting off the eight skirmishers in my other, other armies the second command is pretty similar it's instead of the three medium swordsmen elite i've gone for three medium swordsmen two-handed weapon the nobles and warriors to take um to give it a different that theory dave you know it's is it impact or is it surviving the first round through through your skirmishes through your shooting through your atlatl through your elite and then then winning in the long run with some of those three of the normal warriors with atlatl couple of bowmen and and a couple of slingers as well and then after that it's just sort of what do you do next and it's just a smaller command doing doing something very very similar which is four more warriors with atlatl and, and two with slingers so you really are in this one you've got six nine thirteen atlatl shooters and four bowmen so that's 17 units here which are shooting at a base factor of zero to try and pump out some damage on on the opponent before they get in and it's it's a strange way um, again you're thinking of of absorb someone else's impact and and sort of start to to grind them down or or swamp them but but without those impetuous troops and um, and things like that you do have actually a lot of maneuverability with with medium foot in other words they would have been drilled or whatever they're non-impetuous they can move and slide and, and spread out and, and things like that possibly you do try and use a bit more of the terrain here and to to make those armies that are reliant on driving forwards with with some real sort of strong strike strike troops make them pull them into different shapes and and try and get them to break up and chase you around a bit in in a maybe more stylized form of warfare so i, don't, I think dave you've no have you put together one of these lists um for us what, what do you think of this one um I, I i kind of looked to the uh the other ones the chin and tack and the okay and things like that one is i'm kind of looking at this one first i'm thinking medium swordsman atlatl elite wow i'm thinking i haven't sort of noticed that combination they're only going to get one shot with the atlatl but then it's elite um well, you know, I think in this period, these armies are going to come together and everybody on each side has only three hits. There's yeah. quite a bit of impact. There's quite a bit of 200 weapons. So those combats are not necessarily going to go on for too long. So having an elite shot with the Atlatl, knocking one hit off 
of three hit units is hugely significant, um, really. So, you know, it, it's only the one hit, but if it works, it it really, really makes a difference. So, so stack up with that um, if you can. It's kind of throwing up the question of like, do you offer up some troops as things to get killed whilst yeah. you manoeuvre with the other things? I think there's going to be a, hot, a very much of a situation in these games where you come up, pin the enemy, shoot with your atlas, or but cope something else spare to try and get round. So, you know, extending the line is going to become really interesting. You know, one unit round the side is going to make one hell of a difference. And, and a skirmisher as an overlap is going to make a big difference as well. Are you saying that, you know, deliberate sacrifice is part of the military culture that exactly. the way these armies are used? I can see where you're going with that one. The blood's involved as well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, a blood sacrifice to help you win the combat or win I the war. I think so, definitely. Yeah. I think the thing of creating a V, I mean, I've, got, I've said about it earlier, if you create a, a command which can create a V, go, so, you know, if you say you can have in this army, the two bowmen and the two and the th three warriors can come forward and pin the enemy to their front, being five wide, whilst your three elite guys are folding round the side in a V. That that can create so many problems for an opponent. It's just not true. It's yeah, well, you know, with with a slide, a wheel, uh, you know, a three three MU movement or a three UD movement, you're getting a long way to get make sure you do get those stacked up shots in there. Um, I don't know, Richard, what are you thinking? I, I guess this is a little similar to the, the way the Texacarlins or my Texacarlins were put together in terms of its basic concept. Yeah, I think what we're seeing is, um, you know, and we're kind of discovering this as we talk, but we're, we're seeing two basic approaches to uh, constructing the, what one is heavy emphasis on Malay, and the other is a heavy emphasis on a bit of shooting followed by combat. And I think therefore, you know, what's interesting in all of that is I think in all of these armies, I would be a big fan of high command points because I think in both of them, therefore maneuver is gonna be important because a lot of them are very maneuverable troops. Um, and I think for the, for the charging type armies, they're going to ideally try and get a waterway down to, to narrow um, the width. And so I think versus, I think unincluding the generals here would be yeah. a goal of mine because... Well, I think that's, I think we, you know, actually looking at it, take that as a given. Um, yeah. Because be the army budget's got the ability to do it anyway, so for sure. Yes, be because I think what, if you are relying on blunting the edge by some shooting, you, you really want to be operating each command in two or three blocks. So um, being able to have, where possible, some a few brilliant commanders uh, I, you know, and, and not include, including is great for impact type troops, impetuous impact. Um, I think for others, unless the command is small, there's a danger that the general ends up in the wrong place and you can't really move him. True. Right, that's true. Okay, then. Well, that's um, that's covered the early period. Let's move on and, and have a look at another one. This means war. This means war. 
as we, we get into the final um, final stage here now, um, Dave, you've pulled up one of the the different lists out of here, um, which is the um, Chinantex from again back end of the very back end of the period. And this we we have talked about these armies being similar but different, and and finding a different way of paper, scissors, stone. Um, but this one kind of feels like it's almost the fourth thing in your game of paper, scissors, stone here, which is kind of fascinating. But And you've got a, a one initiative. You, you've already talked about initiative being you know neither here nor there with these armies. And an enormous 29-unit one that, that has got seven of those as skirmishers. And this magical troop type of pikemen seem to be, be scattered through it as well. So... You're seven, you're 13, and, and you're nine, um, two ordinary and a brilliant. Talk us through these commands in order then and um, and what's in them and, and how you see them working. Okay, so I mean, so the Chinantec is an army you actually do see in competitions, in open competitions. I've actually seen it at the Worlds. Not very successfully, I have to say, but um, it, it, it's, it's a very, very negative army. It's only got a command of two which is why the brilliant generals, and it's got two ordinaries before anybody comments on the lack of command and control. That's what its problem is. Um, but it's, 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 it's got a magic troop type, a mediocre pikeman, which um, I've come Great up against yeah. the Scottish armies. They're a bloody nightmare on just in themselves. So I've gone heavy on those, tried to get as much skirmisher in there as well to pad it out so it doesn't die too quickly. But you're going to be looking at 12 pike in the center of the army or somewhere with troops to run around the side. So it's got, um, I want to, I think the pike can actually do quite well in themselves here. Cause if you've got opens, you know, I'm going to go for mountain if I possibly can. I've got the skirmisher to hold the difficult terrain. That means that we're going to be in open areas, not too much medium uh, rough ground. So I want my pipe to go forward and do the fight and pin the enemy. Plus, they've got a lot more attrition value. They've got an extra level of attrition to the enemy. True, they're yeah. Two in the first place. So, you know, I'm, you're hoping they're going to do some damage. But then I'm going to try and run around the edges with my nobles. I've got four of them in one group. And I've gone for the two-handed weapon, which I think is superior still. And then I've got plenty of bowmen in there to run around on their own to try and take advantage of things. No, that's yeah, that's um, it, it's it's. I'm still trying to get my head around seeing a different troop type to um to medium foot swordsmen, which is kind of weird. Um, Richard, it's it, I don't know. Have, have you ever played against some of? We're almost talking about the Scots and the the Low Countries with that um, huge block of inferior pike. Is that something that you've played against or looked at? Yeah, I mean, it can be, uh, you know, it, it is a classic sort of rock, paper, scissors type army in that it's wonderful against um, mounted. And uh, as Dave said, you've got to protect it uh, against enemy shooting. I think his point about it having the extra cohesion is is very valid. I think uh, I think it would be a really useful army in in this competition. It's... I think that you'd really have to think through its vulnerability to terrain compared to all the other armies. Uh, and 
you know, your opponent is probably going to guess if you've, and certainly by round two or three of a competition, they would know <laughs> that you've yeah. gone for the pike and is therefore going to try and maxima, maximise the, the terrain. And, and I therefore, I, I might be thinking of, you know, do I really want two sixes or do I want three fours? So that each block is on a slightly narrower frontage. Um, and does each one want a couple of medium swordsmen with it? J just, and then maybe bunch the bowmen somewhere. Because um, I, th I think that there's a really tasty army here. And I think what you've got is definitely the basis of it, but I might redistribute a couple of the thing. And interestingly, um, yeah, you do have to use all of them of the same type. Yeah, um, yeah. So you, the, the there is, yeah, you've, it, it is, it is, it is a bit of a challenge, but, but, you know, whether those nobles would be better off supporting the pike rather than in a, in a command on their own would be the only thing I would want to, to think through. Yeah. Because no, you could I, then I, have a noble in the middle of a pike block as an included general, um, which could also be interesting. Yeah, I, I think that was um, that was probably my thought as well. So I've used the um, the Scots as well, and I think the Scots because they they get the Highlander allies, or is it the Galwegians? That does naturally kind of get itself to to a very similar structure because you have to put all the the Highlander sword bowmen in one command um, with with that Scots army, um, and the Low Countries is, is slightly different. But but I do wonder with this because the pikeman is the unique troop type. I'd almost be tempted to trim down the number of bowmen because actually as well, you know, and put more pikemen into it and, and a couple of commands with, with two of the medium swordsmen, because they're still very pokey, you know, elite medium swordsmen turned a weapon embedded general and, um, four. and get, yeah, get four of them. But, but if you had two twos and maybe fielded the pike as three fives, you know, because if the pike is what's good, go big on the pike i'm i'm not quite so sure that that two bowmen three bowmen four but is is quite doing enough um and i'd be tempted to have more pikemen but again it's a very different army and and mediocre pikemen in enormous numbers is a very very tough troop type because they're starting at factor two the mediocrity rarely comes into it um it's only when they're scoring enormous factors they do have those four hits they'd be very hard to grind down but they're also um, very tempting for elite impact to have a good old go at because it, you think that you can do them, but but you are sort of grinding them down and, and they only cost eight points versus your elite impact stuff is 10, 11, um, and you do sort that, of swap people with the rest of the army. In each command because you, the, the, I think the most you're going to face of impact swordsman is four, so you're always going to have an overlap. And once, once those... Um, Troops come into your pike, you've this, that leaves the skirmishers completely free to, to manoeuvre with all the pips. And yeah. hopefully they're going to start shedding off on their own way. I, I, I think it's, it's it's definitely a pokey army. The thing it lacks is con commander control because it's only got initiative too. Yeah. But equally, you're, you know, those pikemen don't need a lot. They're going forwards and when they get in combat, they're rolling dice and saying, I've got four hits and my base factor is two. So there's not a lot of generalship kind of needed there, really. Um, so, no, interesting army. This means war.
So finally then, um, I think this is the last one of the ones that I kind of cooked up for Fighting 15s, which is a Maya list and another 26. And, and I think this is much more, you know, Richard, you'll like this one. This is, there's a lot of kind of combat here going on and, and not too much faffing around and waiting. So this is a list that gets all sorts of different troop types. And, um, and I've kind of gone for, for punch, but a little bit of variety as well. And it's, it's sticking some combat troops in people's faces, but then having enough maneuverability to exploit flanks as well. Um, so what you've got here is, is a nine and a 10 with, uh, again, I've, I've just split competent commanders um, here. There's, there's maybe an argument for making one brilliant, but, but two medium swordsman impact elite nobles, two medium swordsman turned a weapon, ordinary ones, the nobles again, <laughs> that's four very good combat troops one other medium swordsman mediocre which is that you know that reserve or that extra width and and a couple of bowmen one one ordinary one mediocre and a couple of slingers as well so this is really a four quality infantry delivery weapon with with three supporting troops and a couple of skirmishes but you're getting those good troops in and using the fact that you're committing four good troops out of a command of nine to give you the resilience to allow that turned weapon or that eliteness to to work the second command very very similar um only sort of marginally bigger the same mix of two medium swordsman impact elite um this one i've gone all impact so the the nobles and medium swordsman impact as well a bit more punch um a medium swordsman three bowmen here just again a medium swordsman mediocre medium swords and impact this can this really is going to dominate terrain and three bowmen two ordinary one mediocre is starting to put out quite a lot of shooting and a couple of slingers as well and then looking at the um you know it one of these lists is what do they get that's unusual and why are you going to pick this over everything else and the the mayans get elite javelin men which yeah. You know the shooting is good if you're fighting a, a base factor of zero and you're elite that's that's pretty cool they can sort of stand up to other things a lot better in in rough terrain you're assuming that other people's really good combat troops are going to be charging down the open and trying to get into combat so so when elite javelin men which is an almost unknown troop type can sit in terrain or up a hill even even impact swordsmen are going to normal impact swordsmen are going to think twice and and you add to that four of the toltec mercenaries um medium swordsman impact elite they're really um that's really really dangerous but something that can can very well go into terrain and support their flanks and then a light tree bow as well so here you've got four four and four get into combat troops you've got two four you know, eight elite combat troops and a couple of elite javelin as well that are there. So 10 of these are elite out of a 26. And I thought this is actually quite an interesting army that, that looking at it, you think there's a lot I could do here. There's a lot of clever things I could um, I could pull together. Yeah, I, I agree. And it kind of would be a classical Indian army's nightmare. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, this would shred some elephants and things, wouldn't it? And um, if, if there were any elephants in South America, which I'm not sure the archaeological record supports, really. Um, there were an, uh, earlier on. But I suppose so, yeah. Time. Probably all got eaten by somebody um, and sacrificed. But Those atlatls had done them in. 
yeah, the outlaws have done them in, for, even at one one UD range. But um, I don't know, Dave, do you fancy using this? There's a lot of kind of fiddly about stuff here. To, I, I to really you. fancy the elite javelin. I think there is, that's a great treat. But in the list I did for the mine, I put them as light infantry javelin because I think they would just completely dominate rough terrain. Um, I, I like this army. I think it's got a lot going for it. Um, I just I'm just still stumped why the two of you have gone for medium swordsman impact just because i think we just want to get to the bar quicker than you dave really that's possibly it in my experience yeah you've got you've got to look at depends on the impact if if they end up fighting something that is say a medium swordsman they're they're plus one with eliteness at impact if you win that first round you're plus one all of the time now, if it's one-on-one, -on -one, yeah, yeah, yeah. the odds don't favour you that much. If you're five-on-five, five, you're going, to, statistically, you're going to win three to four of those combats, and you are going to take that command down in another two rounds, and you've blown away a whole command. Yeah, no, I think, I'm thinking the two-handed weapon, you, you get the eliteness of the two-handed weapon throughout the combats. And yeah, I'm just and that can work too. Elite on elite and things like that. So I think there's actually an argument that the two-handed weapon might be better in in an open period, yes, um, as a choice because what else you're going to be fighting and you're going to fight more armored troops. Um, so so you know you would say if you were using this in an open period, these are two-handed weapon guys, and and if you're using it in a Mesoamerican period, you'd use them as um, as impact possibly a little bit more, but. You know, it's it's just what's the spirit of the army? What is it trying to do? And I think again, it, it is it's a different set of paper, scissors, stone, and and one of those options is right resilience and winning in the long, slightly longer run. Um, although there's not much time when they're all threes and there's a lot of impact around, so it's a different way of doing it. But it it is choosing three different types of paper, scissors, stone just for this sort of Mesoamerican sort of small world, really. I've just I've just thought something else has just completely occurred to me. If you find you've got more light, if, if you know you've got, you know, I've sat there and thought, no, don't take light infantry because there's no need to have them sort of thing. But if you have got more light infantry than the opponent and you take mountains, then you've got difficult terrain runways, which are almost going to guarantee you get round the back of the arm, the opponent. Yep. So there's just there's incredibly weird things in this. You know, fascinating, absolutely fascinating to play. Okay, so we've um, we're sneaking in an extra one for you as a bonus here, um, or possibly. I forgot that we were going to do it and rounded it out just before that clip of music. So, Richard, this is your mind list. Um, initiative of one. You've gone gone 27 here. Um, the question is, obviously, what have you done with the javelin men? Where are they? And, and I can see you've but, gone light of tree javelin. But but talk us through your thinking on, on putting this one together. Yeah, so I think um, a bit like um, Dave was saying, I, I thought in this list, it has it has light infantry javelin, which a number of the others don't have. Uh, it has forest instead of mountain, um, and I just thought, okay, this is an opportunity to um, 
to try and use that to dominate difficult going and try and hope to uh, to have some difficult going. Um, so a bit similar to yours, I, I've but I, I've gone for a mix of impact and two-handed weapon, but I've concentrated mine into two commands. So um, the first command is four elite medium swordsmen impact, two two-handed weapons two mediocre swordsmen and two elite light infantry javelin um, under a competent general, whereas the second command is four impact elite, two heavy weapons and two light infantry bow. So again, 12 frontage combat, the, the mediocre swordsman and the elite light javelin to give me some capability to probe around flanks. And then the third command, um, four four ordinary bowmen and a mediocre bowman with a couple of medium swordsmen and a couple of light infantry javelin. So very much something where you're looking to put down, as we've discussed before, with bowmen, once you've got four or five wide, you, you're putting down quite a long range barrage of fire there that, uh, you know, opponents know they're going to have to be facing for two, three, maybe four rounds with the idea of the medium swordsman and the light infantry javelin to really kind of push up ahead, slow the enemy down and just make them a bit more cautious about flat out charging the bowmen. So that again, you can just apply that bow fire over more turns. But that whole command there is to distract a wing of the enemy while the other troops do the damage in the centre and on the other flank. That's that's actually very different, isn't it? Um, thinking of a good spot there with the forest as an unusual terrain pit piece um, that just does give you some different options. And, and again, I, you know, I was just attached to how can I make those Zine Bob um, as good as possible and make them elite javelin because that's unique. But, but it's a very, very good thing that in a period with, with limited number of skirmishes, light infantry javelin elite will absolutely shred um, anyone else's skirmish screen and can, can stand pretty decently against other troops in difficult terrain as well they're a, a very solid very solid troop type and obviously they can they can kind of run away and work with the archers um dave what's what's your thoughts on this one um i'm just i'm, I'm trying to look i'm looking at my may and this and thinking what i can't see much difference actually yeah. weirdly enough you obviously uh, like this one then it's I, good yeah i think i think i think when you get four bowmen together or even in this case four bowmen and a mediocre bowmen, five bowmen. That's one hell of a lot of shooting. Um, and if you can pin from the sides of the enemy to stop them, I think that looks like a target for people. But if you protect their flanks, you know, get that V going, then it's very hard to get into those bowmen. And those bowmen will then just sit there and start shooting away at you, uh, with, you know, with it, without any consequence, really. And I think that can be a very powerful tactic in this i think you, you're going to end up having to attack the, the command one and command two in order to get to command three if that makes sense and if you don't yeah, attack, yeah. You, you know the, those and then those bowmen are going to be getting into the flank so i think that's a really good way of doing it yeah that command three is it's kind of bait that bites back isn't it really in, yeah. in some yes. ways <laughs> it's, it's it's kind of an interesting thing because you would just go yeah i don't want to fight the other two i'll go for that and then you sort of get bogged down trying to get into them. It would suddenly enough, be a lot I, more I tricky. Think it's gonna, you're going to end up going, oh, damn, I can't get in. You think going to sit there and go, oh, the bait is going to sit there and you're going to go, oh, that's really nice and juicy for my impact swordsman and my elitist swordsman and things like that. 
And then you go, ah, but I can't avoid the other gu the guys on the two sides of them, the impact elite guys of that. I'm going to have to fight them to get to the bone. Then it's the bowmen who are going to be hitting you in the flanks, weirdly enough. Yeah, there's, there's a theme with all of these armies about having commands which are designed to go forwards or go backwards or stand or absorb or or probe or just attack you know you've got you're very much you've got all those different options with the way these lists put together that give you okay i i keep saying it a different set of paper scissors stone to do in this period to to the normal paper scissors stone things that we're used to from from designing adlg lists no that's really that is really interesting okay well thank you and and that that definitely is um, all of the lists that we're covering this week. This means war. This means war. So look, we talked about the armies and we talked about the lists and I think we've all surprised ourselves with the difference in, in style that's possible from stuff that we've all not really looked at before. Um, as always with this, we round these these off with just a quick run through some of the available figures. Um, so uh, I guess it's difficult because we've we've not really got them um, ourselves and we've not really fielded them before. But but looking at just for the Mesoamericans, Essex, of course, have um, some solid ranges, uh, Aztecs, Incas and, and other ones. Um, I guess with Essex, there's, there's part of me with these Mesoamericans, they're almost cartoony armies. And I, I just sort of wonder whether Essex's sort of proper proportions um, are mad enough for, for these ones. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know whether you guys have even cast your eyes over the stuff on the Essex's website. The the one that, that has always appealed to me in, in a lot of ways has been Tin Soldier. Tin Soldier with their chunky, chubby guys, and they, they do Aztecs, Conquistadors, with the huge headdresses. And I, I always think this is a period in which that Tin Soldier unique style can actually work really, really well. Um, they're huge, like, aren't they? They're really big. Yeah, they're really sort of fat and, you know, chubby and kind of cartoony, um, but but that really works very well. Um, Kurasan have been building up ranges in this for quite some time as well. Um, I think they'd started with Chimicheks, but they've got Aztecs and they're always a little fantastic where the way they're painted up on their site, um, which is is an option. Um, Lurkio have done a few ranges down here um, for some of the more obscure periods, particularly. I think I painted one of those up for, a, I won it as a DBA army um, in a competition as a prize and painted up and, and sold it on eBay. And they were, I think, you know, Lurkio has a couple of different designers. I think these are in the the short stubby cute hobbit um end of the the thing which uh it's, it gives them a particular flavor um and then then obviously the gladiator range from fighting 15s which which i've done some of the lists for they've got about 40 different figures there's there's almost too many um different types of the jaguar and eagle warriors to use for some of them but they don't i don't think they do the the is it the chimney check that you do dave with the the pikeman um and then, the only do for that. okay and then um naismith if you can find naismith and roundway they've got some some kind of nice aztecs um and then there's a once you get to some of the more obscure ranges um irregulars have got some more um minifigs have got a few 
Aztecs and Incas as well. Everybody tends to do Aztecs and Incas if they do it before you get into the the more Chupis and Amazonian Indians and things like that. So there's actually quite a range of of different places to to buy it. Um, I don't, Dave, I think you were saying that there's actually somewhere if you if you look on the right, you know, obscure bits of Amazon on on the Amazon, not Amazon. Um, you can find there's a Dunk. Is it a Duncan Head book or? Um, well, I, I thought it was Duncan Head, but it's actually Ian Heath. It's Ian but Heath. Okay. Who can tell them apart? I'm sure that'll insult them. They've, they've never um, been seen in the same room together, have they? Um, no, no. no. I mean, we, 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 all, we all completely depend on the WRG books for all our knowledge. And I don't think the hobby would exist without those books. So yeah. Duncan Ed and Ian, we praise you, love you, and hmm. are completely dependent upon you for so much. But there's um, Ian Heath wrote some books for one of the 25 millimeters, not Warlord, I think. He did some really strange books. He did one on 19th century steppe armies. But he did one on the conquistadors and um, it's very, very hard to find the actual book, but there's a, a Kindle, a, a, you know, a, a version of it. And um, it's very much like the old WRG books with the line drawings and the detail, etc. And it's fantastic. Go get okay. it. It's got all the nice line drawings and all the, it's got all the um, shield designs. Like we all love that sort of thing. So that, that's a really good one to get your blood going for that sort of thing. Okay. Um, with the manufacturers, I I find I, I find the S61s a little bit too animated. They're they're sort of like bowing forward and spreading their arms out a bit too much. Um, they're they're perfectly great figures, but I, I think of a lot of those there, I would go with the Gladiator ones for the moment. Um, I've not looked at Eureka. Oh, they're, they're the Hawaiians and things. They're really strange. I think the other people are making. Lurkio are making the odds and sods, the strange ones, like the, the things which aren't around. I don't think anybody would mind you mixing it, apart from the most brutally difficult person mixing it True. all up. Yeah, no, I think there's there's probably quite a lot of opportunity to mix, you know, the bowmen and the skirmishers and all the rest of it together. And 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 a guy with an atlatl is a guy with an atlatl at some point. But but there's a real good opportunity to paint them up with some some pretty bright paints and. There's an awful lot of stuff on the internet with where people have painted these and posted them online. So there's plenty of ideas there. Um, and and it's one of those armies where you know, if, if you are picking it up, you know, OK, you're not necessarily going to use it um, forever. But if you can pick it up for a, a decent price and, and I think hopefully with this, if we can peak a bit of interest, there's there's potential even for enough people to end up with these armies that, you know, there could be a competition in this theme if if people do start getting on board with it and i think what we've achieved with this podcast is to find that there are there are different ways of playing it it's not just one or two armies there's uh, and just slam into each other and roll some dice there's a lot of of different styles that you can play to to give you you know an intellectually challenging game um as well as as well as just kind of uh well hey look at these they're all pretty pretty let's put them on table, put them into contact, roll some dice and take them off table again and, and drop them back in the box um, out of it. There's, there's some real interest in playing these armies and um, uh, whether any of them quite quite make it into an open period, I don't know, possibly we found a few more who who could do that in, in this way as well. I don't know, maybe that's the point to round it off on. Having, having looked at this multitude of lists, um, and, and poured through this, Richard, Dave. Do you do you feel a bit more confident that these armies could be be viable in you know those those first two periods in a you know, classical or a biblical era 
competition? More so the biblicals, I think, because there's less mounted around. I think mounted caused them a major problem and you'd be very de- had to be very defensive. Um, I think it'd be just great fun to paint all those yeah. eagle warriors and jaguar warriors if you could get, you know, get the right figures and get cr- cracking into it. I, I, I think you could make them work in, um, in an open period. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, there, there are certain troop types, as there are for many armies, but because they don't have that much variety... You know, if you came up against a late medieval army with lots of heavy armor, um, yes, you because if the problem is, although you've got an answer to to many things, it's hard to put it in a single list and 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 then have something that is still strong. So I, I think you'd have to you. I think it wouldn't be a complete disaster. I think you could win games in an open competition, but you'd have to love the army. Um, <laughs> rather than be you know hoping to have an edge right and that's a perfectly good good thing to choose an army based on but really then we're saying um hopefully be inspired by some of these lists go pour over them yourselves and um and if enough people go out and buy one we can run a a totally different the you know the brand new paper scissors stone um it's probably what obsidian wood and um Mm. uh, blood water and blood um competition to do you know which beats wits and and if we can get enough of us with these armies we can all put them on table and um and have a very very different weekend and have a very confused weekend very confused <laughs> and very colorful weekend okay well look, on that basis we'll um we'll say goodbye and um thank you for listening and we will bring be back with another one of these army list specific podcasts soon um and i guess hopefully soon we'll be able to start talking about version four lists as well as that that appears to be getting more and more imminent so possibly some excitement for you there as well so thank you for listening and goodbye everybody listening hope you enjoyed that one just to remind you um, some of the lists the ones which i pulled together so not necessarily the best ones i'm afraid but some of the lists are available to buy as ready-made armies containing all the figures from fighting 15s that's fighting 15s 15s.com um just uh, go onto their website and search for the adlg mega packs or look at their aztecs and enemies ranges and you'll be able to see and buy with one click some of the lists here in this unique new type hope that's of use to you see you for the next one 